0: Hi, and welcome to this special Best of Compilation episode of The Trumpet Guru's Hang. 2021 had its fair share of memorable moments, and probably some we'd all simply love to forget. 2021 was the second year production of The Trumpet Guru's Hang, and I've been very fortunate to have some very, very special guests who've openly shared their unique insights and experiences. And as a result of all of that great conversation, our audience has grown Significantly and for that I am extremely grateful Now my guests have talked about their careers their influences and their philosophies But you know that anytime two trumpet players get together The topic of conversation will eventually get to our most beloved of topics gear Uh, Let's face it We're all gearheads and I will be doing you, my faithful audience, a huge disservice by not talking gear with my guests. Am I right? But of course, by now, you should know that I'm not going to approach this topic in the traditional way. I believe that it's less important what gear someone plays than why they play it. And just like every player has their individual preference for their gear, Every player has a unique process for evaluating gear for themselves or for their students. So that's why I decided to make this a recurring segment of the Trumpet Guru's Hang, to give you some unique ways to think about the role of gear, as well as some practical tips to help you make a more informed decision when you buy that next horn or mouthpiece. And speaking of buying new mouthpieces, Mid-year, the Geared Up segment became sponsored by my friend Doug McVeigh of Venture Mouthpieces. Venture has revolutionized the way we trumpet players can choose, design, and purchase our mouthpieces thanks to their Vencad software. Venture makes it easier for students and amateurs to do what the high-profile professionals do, and that's create a custom mouthpiece. And while many manufacturers will build a custom piece for you, only VenCAD allows you to take complete control of the design process. And if you don't need a custom piece, Venture's fit kits give you an easy and affordable way to find your next mouthpiece. So go to Venture.MP to check out all their offerings and use the code TRUMPETGURUS21 at checkout to save 10% off your order. So let's start off our gear exploration with my first geared up guest, the one and only Eric Miyashiro.
1: You know, you have to remember there are three things involved, Uh, the horn, the mouthpiece, and the player. And those three elements needs to be in balance. So um, you really have to be careful uh, of when you're trying out new horns, um, not to try out horns and trust that feeling you're gonna get in a music store or at it, 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 the you know at the shop, the custom shop, the mouthpiece shop, and whatnot. So um, spend time, uh, take your time. Um, you know. About you, you know, if if you if you can, go to the music store maybe three times on a different day with, with with a different set of mind and different set of chops, and try them out and really see how that's going to work out. Um. And don't let the size or don't let the measurements uh, make you think like like you know. If the, the bore size is medium, you the, your natural tendency said you know to feel is like you there's gonna be a lot of resistance. And if it says large bore, you're gonna think that it's going to be you know you, you need a lot lot of air to fill that horn. No no no, no, you know that's that's not the way it really works. It's the combination of you, mouthpiece and the horn. So uh, don't let those numbers, we all, you know, we all kind of um, get too caught up with the sizes and, and things, you know, you know, yeah. so um, be careful with that and uh, and don't let, don't have your friend come with you and don't ask your friend, you know, if this is sounds good to you or, you know, you know, and because, you know, your, your friend have a different p- taste and sound it's not you so uh, don't let the sound like i said earlier it's, it's your voice and no matter what you change it's going to come back to you that voice unless you change that voice in the head in your head if you have a strong um goal or vision or you know, image that you want to sound like this you're gonna get there. Your body's gonna be act, and you're gonna move there, towards there, and and but don't um, um let your friends or the the store, you know, helper, you you know, tell you you know this sounds better than this. So uh, take your time, and just you know go with you go with your gut feeling, you know, and keep uh, the trying out uh, time that you spend on trying out the different horns or different mouthpieces short you know if you have a mouthpieces that you want to try out and don't spend like half an hour playing them because your body is going to unconsciously adjust to you know to the mouthpiece and you know even if it's not right for you your body will make that adjustment and you know it might it might not be right for you you know so uh, and i would i would say 5 minutes at the most or even even less than that and just let you know your gut feeling your first impression dictate uh what you what you're going to choose that's that's my take on you know suggestions about you know horns and equipments
0: very very cool paul baron
2: sure well the first thing i would ask them is uh what type of music do you see yourself playing or what do you mostly play you know um we could pick any percentage but let's say 75 percent of the time what kind of stuff do you play okay well let's let's talk about the gear that would best be suited for that um You know, if you're going to be playing um, third trumpet in an orchestra, you're probably not going to play a one has 2 colicchio and, you know, a a jet tone or something. Um, You know, because it's not going to be the right tool for the job. That's not to say that there's not somebody out there that could make that sound beautiful and correct in that setting. Um, But by and large, most of us couldn't do that. Um, The same thing is if you're going to be playing... uh, you know, in Earth, Wind, and Fire, you're probably not going to want to show up with a one and a quarter Bach mouthpiece and a 37 heavyweight Bach trumpet uh, and try and get through that game. I don't know what Bobby Burns plays on, but, um, and boy, if he plays on on the equipment I just described, um, then I
0: He's forget even what made. I just
2: said. <laughs> He's amazing. Um, oh, yeah. You know, but but by and large, there are certain conventions that you know most people fit within. So I, I would just you know ask them about this style of music, and and um, and then it all it also comes down to shoe size. You know, um, somebody I have mentioned Byron Stripling can play a one and a half C and play lead. Um, he's got much more fleshy chops than than I do. I've got fleshier chops than other people that. Might be able to fit into um, something really shallow, and and I I can't make a sound out of it. So you know there would be that finding your shoe size, finding um, the mouthpiece that you can consistently get a vibration from the bottom of your range to the top of your range without any um, dropouts or without having to shift you know from top to bottom and move the mouthpiece around. You want it to be able to flow. All the way through your range, so I I would say um, get something that would allow you to be able to do that that doesn't impede your vibration. Once you get the shoe size, I think then it's a matter of tailoring it to the sound that you want to get. Um, you know, uh, a five rim doesn't mean you're going to get a certain sound. It just means that it feels a certain way on your chops. Then you can deal with the the shallow or deep. Um, cup, you can deal with the back bore and the throat size. There's so many other things. Um, and as far as the, the trumpet, I would say, you know, uh, figure out what kind of sound you want to have and, and just try so many different trumpets and don't be concerned about whatever that manufacturer stamped on the bell. It doesn't matter if it's a blessing. Or a Monette, or a Bach, or a Colicchio, or anything else. If it feels right to you, that's the right horn for you. So um, I hate the, to get vibed when I'm in a section or uh, or you know show up and and somebody looks down there, oh you're playing a Colicchio, huh? You know like that's not going to be able to blend. Um, I, I do some some work uh, in the Seattle area doing recordings for I don't know uh video games i don't even know most of these things world of warcraft and some things like that and and i i i get the uh the blessing to sit next to alan vizzuti from time to time and Mm -hmm. alan is so cool i mean he'll look at that and he'll he'll you know oh colicchio huh and then we play and then everything's cool you know so you you can you can blend and, and play in tune and play the right style and it, on so many different things. So it, it's a matter of finding what's right for you.
0: Michael Bogart.
3: The first thing I would mention, if they're, if they're playing on a beginner model or intermediate model, or let's say they're playing on a beginner model and they're, they're trying to justify the cost of a professional model versus an intermediate model. Um, I, I would say go ahead and, and invest up. You know, think, think long-term, think future, think you might be doing this for a while, you know, because you never know that you could get bit by the bug like me. So, you know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to make a decision between an intermediate model and professional model, say, go ahead, you know, spring, you know, have the extra money and go ahead and spring for the professional model. Then I would look at, all right, what are they already playing? And what kind of success do they already have with the equipment that they have? Um, and do they really need to make a change? Is it really necessary? You know? Um, and if, if, if it's, if it's something that they're, 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 really, really excited about, even if they, you know, I mean, I, and I can speak from personal experience. I might sound really, really good on some equipment, but it might get a little bit stagnant after a while. And, and maybe, you know, something comes like, like Eric came out with his model trumpet. And I was like super, super excited about trying Eric's trumpet, you know, and, and it kind of got me fired up again for, you know, uh, for, for, the trumpet thing. And so maybe, you know, this might be, a an opportunity, uh, f- you know, for, for a young musician to get fired up about the, about their instruments. So, um, so yeah, I would look at what they're playing, what, what kind of success are they already having on, on their equipment now? And without making too drastic of a change in how their body and physiology is going to have to readjust, what can we get that player into, that's next level. You know, mm-hmm. does that make sense? Yeah,
0: makes. Um, makes sense.
3: And and I'm you know I'm not trying to plug plug Yamaha, but uh, you know I mean they've been they've been fantastic to me over the years, and I happen to think Bob Malone is is you know one of the one of the greatest minds as far as you know taking in the consideration and the input from artists. And from other players, and being able to draw on that input and figure out ways to make, you know, whatever changes need to be made with the the, the piece of brass tubing itself to be able to make that happen, yeah. to be able to make that 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 a reality, um, and not necessarily. And again, let's let's you know talk about ego. Not not taking you know taking his own ego out of it, and 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 not saying, okay, you know what, this is my horn. If you don't like it you know, piss off, yeah. um, but, but what does the artist want? What do the What does the trumpet player want? What kind of sounds and colors do they want available to them? And how do I make this piece of inner brass material from the earth, be able to cre- create that sound that the artist is hearing in their head? You know, and, and I, I, I happen to think Bob Malone is one of the best at doing that.
0: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, success speaks volume, you know. Cuckoo Collins.
4: So I was really good friends with Lou Sola for a long, long, long time. Um, you know, when I was 15, I met him. And for anyone who knew Lou personally, he would have a minimum of 200 mouthpieces on him at all times. And he would switch mouthpiece for like, for every note. I don't know how he did it, but he would just constantly switch stuff. When I first met him, he had, there was a stack of trumpets up to the ceiling. I was like, what? Who needs all of this stuff? So there are people that clearly believe in that. Um, I think that I would just get confused um, if I had different stuff. Oh, well, this is my TV mouthpiece and this is, you know, this is my recording mouth. I'm kind of one of those people that thinks, you know, whatever gear fits you, fits you. And so, you know, I'm on commercial gear, you know, which, which fits every setting that I play in except for classical church stuff you know that kind of stuff nobody has ever complained like well your horn is way too commercial for this oh they keep calling me back i don't know maybe it's because you know i wear fun socks i don't know but but i've never had a complaint you know Mm -hmm. um i don't play on any classical gear anymore and that's how i grew up and i'm i feel so free i feel like everything fits me i never i never felt like you know, certain instruments or types of instruments fit me well. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the cornet, I have a beautiful cornet and I'm like, "Mm -hmm." I mean, it's interesting and it's kind of fun to play, but I don't feel like myself in it. So I I use it if there's a gig that calls for that specific vibe. Um, So, yeah, I'm really, I'm really one of those people. You find a setup and, and you stick to it. I've never been successful in a shallow mouthpiece, and never say never, um, I'd like to continue to try and pursue something like that. Um, and this is a good time to do that. But, uh, you know, I also, during this break, another thing that I kept quiet was I had seriously major oral surgery, um, mm. and I'm still going through it. So I had to relearn how to play again, you know, cancer is the gift that keeps on giving. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I also, I learned how to be a little more efficient. hmm Um, I learned, you know, how to play on plastic teeth. (laughs) That's a good skill uh, (laughs) you know, and, and I'm not done with the process. So I'll have to learn again, uh, when I get the permanent stuff in, but we have bone growing very slowly right now. So Mm. I'm kind of waiting, but I haven't stopped anything. I'm just still forging ahead and, you know, just like everything else, just figure it out.
0: Kevin Burns.
5: I will tell you that I will probably, when I get back into the band, I'll go back to what uh, I've been playing for for a number of years since I got into the Note. I start most of my career. I probably played that sixty-three z and I did when I first got into note, and then I switched uh, because, like, the, and this is part of that relationship thing with Brian. Like, not only playing, rehearsing, but we're going on tour together. We're hanging out. We're having dinner we're having lunch, we're having drinks, we're just like, just become, we're just friends and we talk trumpet and we talk about what, this or that, this is that. And so you kind of get really deep into to a, a player's head like that in terms of his whole approach to the instrument. And I started listening to how, the reason why he played what he played. Uh, and he plays a, a, an old Con, uh, 36. Uh, and it, the, and so I would. I started keeping my eye, ear out for my eye out for just that old con, just to see what it would feel like. And I discovered that I wasn't uh, very in tune with the, like the 36 or the 38. But I one day I got a hold of a an 8B. If you hold it up side by side, it looks the same shape and design as uh, a 36. But the 36 is nickel plated, and the the 8B is either lac- lacquered or silver plated. And there may be some other changes, but they, but you know, they look like they'd have the old, like kind of wide wrap. They look almost like the same horn, the same bell size. It's kind of small. Um, but it had that old con sound. There's, there's something about that old con sound. Uh, I don't know if it's the metal they used back then, uh, the design factor, whatever, but there's in a big band, it particularly works well. Uh, if I were a studio player, I probably wouldn't, probably wouldn't be my horn because it's too specific. It's like this one core, like it just, it's just like hits you in the chest. It's like this, this core to it. And that's what Brian sounds like. He's so efficient. He doesn't doesn't even look like he's working. Yeah. If If you get in front of him, it just like, it just, it just, you just feel this punch. Um, and when I found that 8B, I was like, suddenly I felt like we were just like, Dialed in together, just like boom. Okay. That's like, I have to, I have to get this horn. It just sounds too good with Brian. Uh, and, and that, so, and I was like, even, even at the expense of this, may or may not be what I would play just by myself, but it sounds so good in the band, uh, that I'm going to get this horn. And so, and that was really when, <laughs> that was really when the music directors just couldn't tell who was playing who. And, and it was a really good and mature choice on my part to just to say what, what is going to sound the best in the band to support this amazing lead player. and so uh i've i've really gotten used to it and i love it it just ha- it just has a, a great sound so that's been my horn i've had a couple versions of it uh i, I played a lacquered one for a while and then i found a uh actually the <laughs> i don't want to throw brian under the bus but he accidentally damaged my first lacquered ab we were just talking in rehearsal and he flipped around and, and knocked my horn into the to the trombone section. And they came up with a lead pipe, looked like that. And, uh, and so he, he was like, oh man, I'm so sorry. And he paid to get it fixed, but it just never played the same after that. But I kept looking out for uh, another 8B and I found one, but it was silver plate, but it felt basically the same. Mm-hmm. So it was that nice sound. So that's my horn. It's an 8B, it's an old con. Uh, and that's the reason why I play it. You know, sometimes you just, in this setting where you just get this opportunity to play in the same group every day, uh, you just, you just get to the point where you you, you, dial it in so finely and getting that horn was like that next step of just making the perfect match, uh, for Brian's lead approach. And so.
0: James Morrison.
5: I
6: think the main thing for me in gear is and gear's gear's important Gear's important and i have gear that i like to use absolutely and um i don't want to play anything else um but it's 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 the why of that and the attitude to that is this i don't look to the gear to give me something you know uh, i people say things what kind of sound does that horn have i love to just hold the horn up and go i don't know it doesn't seem to have any sound at all you know (laughs) no horn has a sound um but, but what I the way I, I treat the choice of gear and how you make decisions about what to play, whether it be all the aspects of your trumpet, you know, the, 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 of course, the make, the model, the finish, the bell size everything about it, all these choices, lead pipe, uh, you know, and then the mouthpiece. Man, going there for years about mouthpieces. The thing is, it's, it all has an effect. It's all important. But the effect I'm looking for is what makes it easiest, what wants to make the sound. So we know, for instance, if we get a, a certain bell, on a trumpet it'll want to be brighter is the way i put it than another one that wants to be darker now i can make the dark one sound bright and i can make the bright one sound darker no problem at all the thing is i'll have to work at it because i'm trying to make that metal do something it doesn't naturally want to do right so i don't choose the brighter bell to give me a brighter sound i have a brighter sound i the bell me so we're working together so that it's easier for me to do what i'm going to do anyway and if you give me a horrible trumpet by that i mean you know like some real like old student model from i don't know when student models weren't good um <laughs> i'll i'll play on it and unless i tell you most people in the room aren't going to notice the difference but man will i notice the difference right like, it'll be horrible um <laughs> a horrible experience i'll be working like crazy um and then give me my horn i play a shaggle. Um, and it's a signature model. It's a James Morrison Meisterhorn, they call it, and all that, that I've worked on with them and got it. And all we did to make that then was not to make a better trumpet, because what does that even mean? Someone would say, oh, I prefer this one, you know, and they'd be right. They do prefer that one. Um, I made a trumpet, worked with Shargel to make a trumpet that in every aspect we possibly could, and we kept trying things and doing things, wanted, so that it almost seems like there's no trumpet. When I pick it up, I go, that's the sound I was going to make anyway. Whether I had a trumpet or not, and so it's not fighting me at all. And so um, uh, that's so the choice of gear. Then when you try a different mouthpiece, don't go, "Gee, does this one make my sound like this?" or make it like that. It doesn't make anything. I always say, imagine the sound in your head. This is pet- pet- this is always important. But boy, it's important when you're trying gear. I see people pick up a horn, and go, "I'll try this one," and they blow it, and I say, "Stop! What are you doing?" And they go, "I'm going to blow the horn and see what sound it makes." And I go in your head you want to make and make that sound they go well then how will i tell whether it's the horn for me i'll go by how easy it is but always make the sound and so when they see me testing trumpets i don't say to anyone in the room how's that one sound they all sound identical but i know this one was easiest to do that on that's mm. the best one for me and so with that approach i don't get down this rabbit hole where i'm always looking for the horn or the mouthpiece for some bit of gear to give me something that i haven't already got I'm looking for, you know, if there's anything left in the gear that I've got where I go, well, I have to sort of push it a bit to make it do that. we go, well, okay. If there's a piece of gear that'll make, take that away. So I'm almost looking for the gear not to give me something. I'm making sure the gear's not taking anything away or standing in the way of what I want to do. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, but to that extent, the gear is very important and there's all those aspects to it. And, um, and I, I like the idea. I'm very aware of the placebo effect and how we, uh, you know, um, right. if you tell someone, "Try this mouthpiece, man. This one's really great for playing high," and give them a reason, mm-hmm. uh, they'll try it. and They'll get another. They'll get an extra little bit of range out of it, you know. Um, and it may be identical to the one they were just playing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so I love it when I I know that a bit of gear is doing what I think it's doing or what it's supposed to do because it did it before I was told what it's supposed to do. And the mouthpiece I use is a, is a really good case in point. It's called an aprodato, and it's also made by Shaggle. And they got this bright idea that, um, you know, when you when you play a mouth, buzz into a mouthpiece when it's in a trumpet, the mouthpiece itself vibrates. And if you put a sensor on the outside of it, just near it in the air, a very sensitive one, it'll pick up those vibrations. You can look at them on an oscilloscope. So you're making the air vibrate either side of your mouthpiece, like all around it, that's wasted energy. So of course, this is well known. So, they started making heavier, fatter mouthpieces. You know, those mouthpieces, you can get like huge chunks of metal right. and they vibrate less. So, mm. more of the energy is going through the horn, but they still vibrate. So, it's like a soundproof room. All you're trying to do is stop vibrations getting in and out. You don't make the walls thicker. Everyone knows in a studio, you put a cavity. You put an inner wall and an outer wall, put a space between them, you'll stop the vibrate, or largely stop the vibrations. If you could, and it's not practical with a building, you'd fill the cavity with water. Mm-hmm. That really, anything that does excite the first wall will never get the second wall going if there's water in between. So the Aprodato is a dual walled mouthpiece. There's an inner mouthpiece. And there's an outer casing and it's filled with water. Wow. And that's how it works. Now, I know all that now, but when I got this parcel in, in, in the mail from Shargle, try this new mouthpiece, no one told me any of this. I said, oh, it's kind of fat looking. Okay. And I put it in. I didn't know what it was supposed to do and I never read the instructions on anything. So I just <laughs> displayed know. it. And I didn't notice suddenly I was better or, and it was easier. It felt good, so I played it. But after a couple of weeks, I had a trip, and coincidentally it was to Austria, to uh, near Vienna, where Chargill is based, and I had this concert. When I got there off this long flight from Australia, I took the horn out I played, and I just, just had that edge missing. You know, when you feel like, is there a bit of fluff stuck in my mouthpiece, my horn somewhere from the case, or is was, was there a dent? Did I get a dent on the flight that I can't see? You know that that little thing when you get a dent maybe in the end of your tuning slide. It just—it was just off. Right. I went, no. so I went to them and I said, "There's something wrong with my horn." And they put a light down and they look at this. We can't find anything wrong with the horn. And then Robert shargle who was there, one of the brothers that runs the company, he, he shook the mouthpiece. He said, there's no water in your Aprodato. I said, there's no water in my what? He said, this is called an Aprodato. Didn't you read the thing we sent you? I said, no. He said, it would have come to you filled with water. I went, where? And he said, no, it screws apart. I didn't even know. He said, it's empty. He said, you must have not had it done up properly on the flight and it's come out with the, you know, the altitude. He went and filled it up, go back said, try it now. And I played it and the horn was back. I said, well, that's a really good double blind trial. Because I didn't even know what it was supposed to do. I didn't even know it was the mouthpiece. I just knew something was wrong. So this mouthpiece definitely makes a difference. But it was that kind of difference that only after I'd had it for a couple of weeks, when you took it away, I noticed. Mm -hmm. When I first played it, it just felt good. But once it was not there and the water was not there, I went, I've just lost a tiny little bit of power or something here. I don't know why. So that kind of gear testing I love where I don't know what it's supposed to do. And yet I can feel something and uh and and if someone changes it without me knowing and i notice it then i know it's for real it's not placebo so uh but yeah gear man all the technicalities of it there are experts on that and i'm certainly not one of them but i know we worked long and hard to sort of get a horn where i said yeah this horn
0: wants to do what i want to (laughs) do yeah yeah jim manley
7: well there's always a lot of talk of mouthpiece if i get it especially guys that want to play, I should get a smaller mouthpiece. Well, it's not one size fits all. Uh, And I, my approach is, I mean, I play a really small mouthpiece compared to a lot of people. It doesn't mean because a small mouthpiece, the sound has to be small. No, it's just what I grew up comfortable with. So I would say find something that you feel comfortable with and stick with it. Mainly by comfort. I mean, the rim feels good on your lips What feels good to me might not feel good to you. And you might buy a small mouthpiece and you're coming from a 3C. Well, I'm going to get a smaller mouthpiece to play high. It's not going to work because the the little mouthpiece is not going to feel like a 3C. So if you're looking for that kind of switch, maybe get a three with a shallower cup, but maintain some kind of rim you know, I got a lot of mouthpieces here, but they all basically have the same rim that I played on for many years. And I'll mess with backboards and cups just for a different sound because I like that. There's players I know play the same mouthpiece from high school and sound great on it. I'm just a guy that likes the experiment because the more efficient I get, it seems the smaller I can go, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. High, man, I try, especially with COVID, I got into a thing where I'd sell a horn, buy a horn, sell a horn, buy a horn. Because you just don't know. Uh, I'll, I'll preface it that by saying I had several Doc Severinsen Getsons. I didn't sound like Doc Severinsen. I had an MF horn. I didn't sound like Maynard, you know. Uh, but I like trying different horns. And I play a lot of different horns. Even on my recordings, I might want a certain sound or something. Uh, I usually fall in the months at a time on a certain horn for whatever reason. And different gigs might require things. But really... I think it's fun to try different horns. Should you? No. Or, or, it's not the horn that's going to make you sound better. That's the other thing. I can pretty much sound like me on any horn, good or bad. It's still me on whatever horn I pick up. But I really enjoy playing different horns. I yeah. get out of it. And there are horns that are better for me than others. Another guy, you know, I could come to your house and you could play my horn and go, good Lord, how did you play this thing? And you sound great on it. So... It's yeah. always fun, man. I, I mean, for me, I've tried vintage horns up to modern horns. I, I just love playing horns. Currently, I'm playing a sixty-three ten Z that literally was owned by my best friend many years ago when we both had him. And uh, I've, you know, there's not many horns I haven't tried. Mouthpiece yeah. wise, I'm playing a Mark Curry right now. Mark's great. He's made all kinds of different backboards and cups with the same rim. KO Stomby. Jim New. I mean. Just about everybody at some point I've gotten a mouthpiece from. For me, that's fun.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if you can do it, man. Yeah. <laughs> Have fun with it. You know, the
7: way I look at it is, look, if I sold this horn and I got this much of money, I could buy another horn and try it. There there's always a market for horns out there, and there's always the newest horn that's gonna make me play better. They usually don't because I can pretty much suck on everything. <laughs>
0: So, yeah, you can. If if you're looking for a horn with a uh, uh, triple C pre installed, uh, talk to Jim Manley. He'll uh,
7: (laughs) try to find one for you, but I haven't haven't found one yet.
0: (laughs) Mary Elizabeth Bowden.
8: I'll give you my backstory. So, I was, I think, when I was a teenager, Carrie had me playing on a two and a half C. And I, you know, in my youth orchestra, Chicago Youth Symphony, you know, people were like, oh, the great players play a 1C. I mean, it's, it's so silly. Right. And so I felt like a lot of pressure to play. Like, I want to play a 1C. I can play that. And so I, <laughs> she was so mad at me. I switched mouthpieces without asking her to the 1C. And I refu- I kind of refused to go to, to not do that. And, and she was like, oh my gosh, I need to, I have actually not talked about this with her. This is like, back in like 1998. Sorry, Carrie, I didn't listen to you. Um, and then, you know, throughout my journey through Curtis and everything, um, I stayed on like a ginormous mouthpiece and at Curtis, there's only four trumpeters in the studio and the player a year ahead of me, it's a fantastic player, Derek Lance. And he, he played like a one C that was poured out a thousand times. I don't know. And again, I wanted to be one of the guys. I wanted to show that I was strong. So I like ended up getting a very similar mouthpiece and I, my teacher at the time, Dave Bilger was like, yeah, that's fine. You can play that. I don't, he, he was like kind of chill about it. You know, we didn't talk too much about it. He was like, yeah, you can play one C that seems okay. And I stuck with that for like many years until I met Jens Lindemann. <laughs> and he was like, why are you playing that? I'm like, well, I just, you know, I'm not like an equipment person. Right. Like I've become more so in my, with teaching and, you know, I learned a lot from Dave and other people. Uh, and when I made the final, the final live round for Ellsworth Smith, when I was 30, it was my last chance to try a competition. That's a whole nother story. I got hit in the face before the competition. It was very traumatic. Mm. My career almost ended, but while preparing that summer and seeing that gigantic list of music that you have to play, like Jens was like, there's, you're not going to get through this on that mouthpiece. There's a lot of problems on this mouthpiece. So I just started trying a bunch of random stuff and I ended up settling on just a standard five C, but I ordered like five of them, a Bach five C and they were all completely different. Right. So the one I have, I probably should copy because I really like it, but I don't know why it's different than the others. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I played that on my C and E flat and, uh, my B flat. I play a slightly modified, uh, five C. It has, it's a little bit bigger. Um, it had it opened up just a little bit and it seemed to be a better fit. So, you know, I that's what I play on the normal trumpets. I need to get it copied. I'd like to eventually find a mouthpiece maker that would work with me to see exactly what that 5C looks like and see if we can make some small adjustments. So that's probably gonna be my next step is finding a company that I might want to work with. Um, but I'm like pretty happy with the 5C that I found. So I haven't that's why I haven't like really pursued that. So and then the piccolo I play like really small. I play this picket brass. Uh, it's called Jens Lead 2. He I, He had me try it for when I was learning Brandenburg and I could play the higher notes. And it's like, okay, let's make this work. So I play that, but I also switch between a couple others. I'm pretty, I'm in my older age, I've become a, a lot more flexible with being able to switch mouthpieces mm-hmm. more because on my solo shows, my solo recitals and Sarah Frost concerts, I have like six or seven trumpets on stage. And I might even have a cornet with a cornet mouthpiece. So I'm always switching mouthpieces. And so I just, again, we talk about versatility. In my mid-20s, that would have messed me up and I would have been really nervous. Oh, I have to play piccolo, cold. Now it's not a problem. You pick up the piccolo, it's cold. It's fine. Like you can can do it if you train yourself to be flexible. So uh, with my students, uh, you know, I, I see what they're playing and I try to hear if there's any issues happening. I try to be mindful of it and, there's a couple of students this year where I'm having them try some different things. Um, and seeing if that's a, that's a good fit. And since I know that I'm, I don't consider myself an expert on this, I can hear the sound and hear the issues. Like for me with the one C I used to have, a I used to have a flat high CNC trumpet. And I thought, Oh, my range just isn't that great. That's not true. <laughs> and I wish I had known that 10 years sooner. And, uh, same thing. I used to have. Like, I I recently tried my old mouthpiece from that I used to play on in college, mm-hmm. and all the bad, all the all the weird things, like some scooping issues and things, they were all there again. And I was like, "Get this away." <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, I, yeah. So with my students, I have a very flexible mind, and I I I have a friend in town in Winchester. He's a trumpeter named Bill Dunn. He plays in the Navy Band, and he's he's a mouthpiece expert and so I've brought him in a couple of times as a guest artist to give me a second opinion um you know and I think that's also what I like about my teaching is that I'm not like you have to do this or or else type of thinking like um if there's something a little bit outside my ballpark um like picking the perfect mouthpiece uh I will bring in an expert to help with the student. If I'm having, sometimes I can find the right mouthpiece for a student and it's like, okay, that's sounding really good. But if I'm like a little unsure, I will bring in Bill or or Dave is a little bit more knowledgeable with exactly with the mouthpiece structures and stuff. So, but I'm learning as I go, I'm sure in a couple of years I'll I'll know a lot more than I know now. So that's how I approach that stuff. And then with horns, you know, if something's not working, I can, I just play their trumpet and I can kind of be like, yeah, you need to make some adjustments on this horn or like, let's see if you can get you a different trumpet. You know what I mean? So it's, yep. it's, it's kind of like that process. I feel like that's a little easier to, to manage because I can just play the trumpet and, you know, hear them kind of try some different things that I have in the office. And then once they try my trumpet or something, they can get a better sense of like, Oh, okay. That's I need to look for something a little bit different, you know?
3: Yeah. So,
9: Chris Jodas. In terms of gear, and if you're comparing gig uh, gear or trying to find the right equipment for something, number one, make sure that you're physically in the same place you were the last time you played, or or normally when you play. If you, if for instance, if you're trying out mouthpieces after you've had been on vacation and haven't played for two weeks, you're not going to learn anything, you know, and you you can't find it. So number one, uh, be physically ready to. Uh, make a decision so you're making sure that you're at your peak plane. and then the other thing is this uh i think it's easy to begin to rely too much on uh mouthpieces trumpets you know extra stuff i mean i'm speaking to that and i've got trumpets and mouthpieces laying all over my room here but um uh, I, I basically have been through a bunch of mouthpieces, and literally within sight of me, there's about 300 mouthpieces here. Hey. Um and uh, but most of them are all gone, are you know, long past, haven't used them in in years and years and years. And I let my students come and work on them if they find one, they can take one. You know, um, so number one, the real instrument is what's behind the mouthpiece. So all of that has got to be together. Your, your fingers, your chops, everything's got to be ready to do. Uh, what you want to do and then I always take a buddy when I try out equipment somebody to stand in front of me who I uh, trust as a player um and 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 not only a player but an excellent musician and then play and say okay what was the difference between this one and that one where you're at you know um and I think that's extremely helpful to us um I've also had some instruments uh that were uh made for me and uh Taking time with the with the people who make the instruments um, is has been a great uh, learning experience for me. And uh, you know because I've had them made for me, I can kind of always know how that's gonna feel and it it tends to work for my skill set, whatever that is, lack of skill or enough skill, whatever it is. you know it's it's designed to either cover my mistakes or make it easier for me to play one way or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's I think a lot of uh, people tend to do that that's why you can go out and get the you know this guy's trumpet or you know the the Wayne Bergeron trumpet or the Marvin Stamm trumpet or whatever Um, you know the thing is if I buy Wayne's horn that's not going to make me sound like Wayne it it might help but still the instrument is what's behind the trumpet itself right and so number one that's got to be the the thing if you if you want to make something happen you got to make all of this work well and work right. And then try out scientifically if well not really, I don't know if it could be scientifically, but systematically um, try out one thing at a time and see how that works. And then start to compare that with what you played before to see if that's going to make something different. Um all I mean of all the trumpets I have, I like that I have some that are just different, not not just the same. So that I can use that horn for this kind of plane and another horn for that kind of playing. Um, but, uh, the, I think the main thing in terms of equipment that you choose, uh, it doesn't do any good if you haven't played in, in two weeks, you know, trying out a trumpet is probably not yours or making a decision on a trumpet is probably not the smartest thing to do at that point. Yeah. But I try out everything on mutes, mouthpieces, trumpets, you know, valve tops. I know one guy who tries out, he has got to have some special kind of top cap on the valve. And it makes a big difference to him. To me, it doesn't really seem to matter. But it just depends on what matters to you. What mm-hmm. do you need to do to be able to be consistent and have confidence in the equipment that you're, you're playing? Think how much think how much race car drivers go through every single inch of their car all the time. Um, now, we don't have the same sort of uh, difficulties they do, but um, you know we, we kind of need to make sure it's always in good working order that we're using the right equipment. I, I see that the, you have... Um, Robinson's remedies. There, you know, yeah. every trumpet player I know has a has a bottle of that in the in their trumpet case. You know, and that's a way to get this part of the instrument, your lips, working. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can always know that if you feel a little swollen. Okay, well, that's what you can use to make that happen. I'm not trying to do a commercial. I just saw that that sticker on your uh, stuff and thought, well, that's that's you know, you're going to find one in every trumpet case you can find because that gets this the physical part, the body part uh, in the right place in case it's hurting, if it's yeah. not right,
0: you know? Right. Right. Well, you know, actually you, 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 did bring up something interesting there and, you know, I've, I've heard this, this argument, you know, uh, from so many different angles about the uh, placebo effect. Um, and, you uh, Okay, well, heavy heavy caps, they help with the slotting and intonation. Well, no, heavy caps don't do anything, you know, or, you know, heavy horns, heavy walls, all these different things. Um, and, you know, of course, I have not seen, I'm a little bit of a geek. Uh, I, I am a geek. I don't want to say a little bit. I am a geek, but even more, more so than just the, the trumpet nerd geek. Uh, just kind of a science, a science geek in, in general. And uh, I've actually asked a couple of people who are manufacturers and they're like, you know, well, the science says this. And I'm like, okay, well, what science, what research can you show me the research? Because I don't have a problem sitting down and reading, uh, reading a journal article and, and, you know, looking at at, uh, that sort of uh, experimentation and and deciphering that. Um, But you know, So some of the stuff I think, yeah, okay, well, there, there maybe is a, a uh, quantifiable difference that it makes. And in some cases, it is simply a placebo effect. But the truth of the matter is, is that if you think you're, it's going to help you to play better, you're probably going to play better. Simply because you, 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 are feeling more confident. You're feeling like the horn is going to respond for you the way that you want it to respond. So therefore you're not, you don't set up that level of trepidation that's going to trip you up eventually. Uh, You know, so, so where do you stand, stand on, on things like that about, uh, you know, if if it feels, if it feels good for you, then it's good for you.
9: Yeah, well. I mean when I'm trying out a, it makes a big difference to me when I'm trying out the horn. If I'm if I'm looking for a new horn or something like that, I might say, you know, do you have different caps on this to try? I I personally feel like if you put enough weight on the trumpet if you're using uh, heavy caps on the bottom of your horn, um, I think it can change your sound. The question is, is it change it to a sound you want to hear or a feel that you wanna have, or not? I don't I don't really like to have a lot of weight on the trumpet and um Uh, That doesn't work so well for me, Uh, and I don't have weights on my mouthpieces or anything else like that. They're just a standard cut, Um, but that doesn't mean I disagree with them. I just haven't found one that I thought – I kind of feel like the more weight I have on it, the less control I have over what I'm playing. It's just more work to try to manipulate that extra weight into doing the things that it it does, whatever that is. Um, I've I've certainly played horns with heavy bells. And with heavy caps, um, I, I have a I have a Monette trumpet here that's real dark and heavy, and I like it for some things, um, but only only because it's good for those things. You know, mm-hmm. it's not my my everyday thing, but it certainly has. Uh, um, I'm sorry, it's not a Monette, It's it's. I don't mean to do that. It's like a Monette, It's a. Uh, or what do we call this? A Van Laar.
0: Okay. Yeah.
9: And uh, his stuff is very heavy, but it works on that horn. Now, I don't play lead trumpet on it; it's for a whole different sound. And um, and and I love. I think it's a great idea to play around. Just like race car drivers will will work on bending a foil a certain way, they can feel it. Mm-hmm. Um, it I don't know that it made any difference if they won the race or if they uh, if the people who are watching the race could could tell that the car was faster, but. Uh, for us, whatever works is a great thing. For me, I tend to go light on the trumpet. I'm heavy enough by myself. I don't need the trumpet to be any heavier. And um, I, I certainly feel like it's everybody's prerogative to say, I feel, even if, if even if it's only in your mind, if a heavy cap makes you feel better about it, or if your horn is a special kind of color or shiny, if you feel better and it makes you play better, then great. You know, that's that's fine. You know um i just i basically i don't try to make that many adjustments to to what i do you know i mean i i pick out a trumpet when i try it and then for the most part that's the way it stays every once in a while i'll put a different mouthpiece in it but that's to accomplish a different gig or a different quality
0: sound matt white
10: yeah i think like
0: for
9: overall
10: philosophy for me is like you know i'm always trying to eliminate the instrument, if that makes any sense. And so, you know, I want to be able to, whether like it's something I have to read off a page or something I have to hear, or it's something I'm improvising, like I don't want to think about the trumpet. Like I want to be connected to the music. And so for me, the gear is a way to get to that point so that it feels good. And maybe I'm getting the sound that I want to hear. Cause if it's a pleasant sound, it's a sound I like, I'm more, you know, I'm more apt to forget about the trumpet. It's like, okay, this, everything's dialed in the way that I want. So Right now I'm playing, um, and I know you had him on the the show recently, I'm I'm playing a Venture mouthpiece. Yes, sir. That Doug made for me, which is like kind of like a hybrid of a bunch of things. It's like a seven rim that I really love, but then like the drop is from a 3C and then the cup shape is different. And really for me, it was just getting something that was like slightly more efficient that let me kind of keep the horn on my face for long periods of time and still be to execute the things that I want to play. A lot of times I improvise. I like moving around a lot. I like playing really angular ideas. And so being super comfortable, um, is part of that, I'm also like a big fan of Patrick mouthpieces. Steve, um, Steve is a great friend and somebody I worked with a lot when I lived in Nashville. Um, so I still play his gear a little bit, but, um, but yeah, this venture mouthpiece that Doug made for me is, is like amazing. And I would say for anybody that is, has like a piece of gear that you love, but you're always like, Oh, I would just change this one thing about it. Like he's the person to talk to because he can change that one little thing about it. Um, for B-flat, I play two B-flat trumpets. Both of them are New York box. They're super old box. Um, I play one that's like a large bore with a 25 bell and a six lead pipe. That's primarily like this this uh, horn that I do like all my improvising on. And then I play another New York box that's a medium bore with a 38 bell um, and a Charlie Milk um, lead pipe. And that's like pretty much everything else. So like lead playing, um, any commercial stuff, even classical playing I do on that. Um, flugelhorn, I play an Adams F5 which is the copper one. And it's super pretty sounding, which is why I love it. Um, And then piccolo trumpet, I play a Bach artisan piccolo trumpet. Um, And then I guess in terms of uh, like what I tell my students, I think the first thing is like, does this feel okay? Right. So like if you're playing a mouthpiece that feels bad or hurts you, like let's switch it. Let's, let's figure something out. I'm definitely not one of those people that comes in and is like, everybody must play in a three C or everybody must play in a one C with like a 25 throat, like everybody's a little different. And so ultimately I want to make sure that they have something that feels really great, lets them get the sound they want. And then is also, you know, not a drag to play. Cause I think for all of us, we're always kind of trying to balance that like playability and then the sound that we want. Um, so just directing students. And because of that, I like never have mouthpieces because I'm always giving mouthpieces to students. So it's like, the other day I was like, oh, I wonder what a 3C would feel like because I hadn't played one in a lot. And I realized like I'd given like four 3Cs to all my students. So um, so yeah, that's kind of, I think, my philosophy on gear.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's, that's um, there's a point there I, I just wanted to ask you about because, you know, we, we all have our defaults. Um, and I think that the two, the, the two poles that we tend to, to go on with gear, like especially like mouthpieces, Uh, one is the the comfort you know how does it feel and the other is the sound you know Um, and and like you said there's a kind of a balancing act that you have to you have to work with but like for yourself uh, are you more of a you know it, I, I got to start with a feel and then, then start playing with the sound or is it, I got to go with the sound and then see if I can adjust it to make the feel work.
10: I think it's the sound part for me first. Cause I think that going back to what we were saying earlier, I, I think that if it's the sound that I hear in my head and I feel like I'm getting to it, like that's, that's the thing that keeps me like the most engaged. I will say like, as I've gotten older, I feel like efficiencies become really important to me. Um, and, and you know, it's just because like I'm older, like I got two kids, I got stuff I got to do. So like, when you're playing, when you're in school, when you're going to school and, like, you can practice five hours a day, big equipment feels amazing, right? Because you're getting all that time on your chops and you're, like, playing a lot. As you get older and you get, like, less practice time, I think, like, the efficiency thing got really important to me. And so I've found over the years, like, my, my equipment's kind of gotten smaller and I've learned to kind of let the, the resistance work for me a little more um, as, if, as opposed to, like, feeling like I was, like, having to overpower the instrument. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think that kind of feels that
0: yeah well yeah that that's i think one of those things that uh you know, we're as we were talking about earlier that isn't really talked about a lot you know in a formal kind of setting you mm-hmm. know like you know that would that would actually be an interesting class on uh you know how how to how to play test gear you know yeah what, what what things to look for uh you know like mouthpiece design horn design things like that i think that would be a really interesting uh class to uh you know
10: i I went to i've been an itg member for like a long time but i went to my first one in 2019 the one in miami Mm -hmm. uh, and i was judging the jazz competition and uh but yeah like you know going in there and i was so excited to try out all the horns you know because i was like i never been to one of these things i get to try all these horns and mouthpieces like wait a second this is the worst possible environment (laughs) for me to actually figure out if i need to change something
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean, I, I think that uh, people don't know how to to actually test. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Roger, you mentioned Roger Ingram earlier. Um, Roger's done a couple of little posts or videos. That I can't remember he's done a video. I know he's done a couple of posts about that, about the process that he recommends people to do for trying out a horn. It's like, mm. This is what you should do. Uh, Don't go in there and just, you know, try to play as loud as you can or as high as you can. You know, these are the steps you should take. And um, I think somebody to to codify that to a degree, uh, Yeah, everybody's going to be different, obviously, but... um, Yeah. uh, Maybe, maybe someone out there in a guru's land uh, will want to take up that, that project. And and as, uh, as long as I get uh, my residual for that, uh, (laughs) (laughs) please do that. Finders fee. Yeah. No finders. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I think that that's something that would be so useful. I mean, if if I think back to my, you know, my earlier years uh, it would, it would save me a whole lot of time and a whole lot of money to be able to, 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 to know how to to systematically go about picking the right gear
10: yeah yeah and and just like also like going into it and going like what is it that i need to change right because if you go into the situation just going like i need to find something that makes me play better like that's that's pretty fraught with problems right there you know so yeah having an idea of like what it
11: is that i'm actually looking for what do i need to make better
0: alan vizutti
11: I mean, I guess the question was kind of why am I drawn to or what am I looking for? Yeah. In the home? yeah. Um, well, there's ease, there's ease of tone production. In other words, too much resistance or too open is not going to work for me. That's basically kind of bore size. Um, and so you have a lot of choices there. Uh, sound quality and harmonic structure is huge. When we look about the Zuni model... I did grab a Bach trumpet from a student of mine and take it to New York because I liked the sound on it, um, kind of typical Bach sound, kind of buttery and nice. And within an hour and a half of working on the new horn, when I would test the two horns for people coming in and out of the, the uh, facility in New York City, which one do you like better? Everybody picked the Yamaha sound wise. Uh, so, For whatever description, I feel like we kind of built the the harmonic structure with my, the mouthpiece is a huge part of this, by the way, but the harmonic structure of the sound I was getting was much more broad and and, uh, warm. Uh, My tendency too is not to go for sizzle. I have enough of that in what I do and with my equipment. My tendency is to go for a horn that has a pushing, and I use this with quotation marks, but darker. It's not going to be dead kind of heavy metal the trumpet made by the hummer corporation yeah lead weight dead it's going to be just not as dark as some of the horns with a mouthpiece that's medium to small for instance and i go for sound a lot and then if i get really specific what i like to check is the intonation in the metal register for instance if a d in the staff is flat you need to rethink because you can't fix that um the scales good very close of course our low c sharp and d are going to be sharp uh, but above high c if it doesn't close off on me or too much uh with the resistance that i am comfortable with which is not a measurable quantity it's by feel um the, and the new horn accomplishes a more open upper register let's say from from high c to a four line g written and those are kind of my priorities basically sound and then the resistance or balanced resistance feel. Um, the construction quality is what it is. Plus, it's high class with the Yamaha. You know, I've been to Japan forty-nine times and the factory a bunch of times, and, it's, and I've been to factories in China, brass factories in China, for instance. Yamaha's factory is pretty shockingly amazing. Yeah. And clean and efficient. And um, yes, they're in it for the money. Yes, they make great student horns and a lot of them but they don't cut a lot of corners where they could cut some corners because they want it to be high quality yeah. and uh, last.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, and what you said about the uh, the D being in yeah. tune, um, I've never heard that, and that's a great point. And, and, uh, I, you know, and that's kind of the reason why I, I want to ask these kind of questions to, to players is because – you know, there are so many people that, that are looking for new gear or having problems with the gear they have um, and trying to get ideas on how to actually evaluate, you know, and what what makes a horn, obviously there's always the feel of uh, the personal uh, preferences and stuff like that, but but if you're trying something out, what you know, what are your baselines? You know, what are the what are the like the top three things that you should do to to test a horn to to see that this is something that's going to be workable? You know, besides what finish it has. You know, so yeah. Uh, yeah. thank you for that that point. I think that, that's that's something to add to the arsenal.
11: There were some old bench trumpets that old now bench trumpets because I had uh, during university years I played bench for a while and on the road I was playing a bench with Woody Herman's band and the D in the staff is flat. And I struggled with that. It made you tired, you know? Yeah. yeah. So if we move on a little bit quickly to the mouthpiece, um, I um, have worked on a mouthpiece design just per- periodically over many years. When I went on the road with Woody Herman, I didn't want to play a pea shooter, but I wanted to go a little smaller than my more classical gear from school time. Uh, and I didn't really have a specific mouthpiece in mind. But long story short as I came up with a design that's very middle of the road and what i came up with it was through experimentation having mouthpieces made in new york and chicago at shilke and at um uh, giardinelli and um pepper a guy that used to be in, Ch- in manhattan a long time ago just having them make stuff and try them and you know most of them just ended up in a box somewhere not useful for me <clears throat> and then when i found something that was sort of the diameter is halfway between a box. Um, three and a five so Bach doesn't make a four but it would be like a four and the cup is on the medium to shallow side but it's a bowl shape not a v and I would have that copied periodically and so what happened was, manufactured when I was traveling I could go at different cities I would have it copied or do it by mail and well, you couldn't really copy it by mail, come to think of it. So I had to be there. And uh, sometimes the mouthpiece played a little easier. I didn't know why, but they had different, you know, each manufacturer had different tools, different blanks, different shapes on the outside, different, you know, right. there was those jet tone and the Schilke and the Bach and the Bob Reeves. They all were shaped differently, Joe Marcinkiewicz, et cetera, et cetera, and they played differently. And I, I would just switch immediately to the one that worked best. Now this wasn't very often, this is months or years apart. And it led me to a Yamaha mouthpiece that I could play now and be happy to play now. Um, And it's for sale. Just if you ever need a point of reference and a friend has one, you can see what it's about. It's a little small for a lot of people, but for some reason I can play smaller mouthpieces a little more classically than some other people. I do struggle with big, big mouthpieces and think that a lot of time they're too inefficient for everyone. You know, the one and a quarter C is not really a great mouthpiece for most people, I don't think. Um, I just say that to say that um, I do have to struggle with those mouthpieces. And the sound that I get is not beautiful either. So I'm somewhere in the middle there. And P- I play Peter Pickett mouthpieces now. He took my Yamaha mouthpiece and copied it. And whatever difference is, it's a little easier to play for me. As I mentioned, if I, the mouthpiece by Yamaha is still out there and for sale. If you've got one, don't worry about it. It's a really nice mouthpiece. And I'm not saying that the Pickett one would be better. Uh, But for me, it was a little um, easier to play. Now, when I say easier, basically I'm talking above high C. Um, When you test a mouthpiece, check your range, whatever your range is, if it's, let's just use high C as an example. If it's comfortable playing from your low F sharp to your high C, I don't mean a one scale necessarily, but as far as resistance and the mouthpiece speaking and you like the sound, that's a great mouthpiece for you it's a great starting point point. one other sentence get the right use the uh you, you need oh, let me restate that you need the right sound for the job so you're gonna have to have a balance between the sound that you love and the most playing that you do yeah you know if you like really dark beep bop foo foo smoky blue room sound it's probably not going to work on first trumpet in an orchestra or first trumpet in a big band or in a salsa band logic and yeah. intelligence and you know reason there get the right sound for the job and follow your heart there too
0: yeah well those are certainly great great tips you know uh, you know the the sound is the sound has to drive it so yeah definitely
11: yeah. and don't forget the people don't care what your gear is they care what you sound like, and they care if they had enjoyment and were moved emotionally. That's all they care about.
0: Yeah, the only people that seem to care about it are the other trumpet players. <laughs> you know.
11: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and and you know they're they're certainly not paying your bills. So. <laughs>
11: well, I, you know, as a side note, you I, for players who wonder, I do switch mouthpieces for some sounds sometimes. I do switch horns a little bit for, uh, say, playing bebop versus. Uh, some other sort of big band situation where i'm out in front at a college university or something like that i do switch sometimes in for certain pieces usually not too much in recitals i switch a lot instruments and just a couple of mouthpieces i don't have that many but for the sound and you know for the right characteristic for the music
0: yeah
11: well as close as you can get yeah (laughs) yeah
0: well you know the, the the I I don't know where that came from, that that it's almost like this kind of macho thing of, you know, I use one horn and one mouthpiece to do everything, and, you know, I use the biggest gear possible, and...
11: Yeah, that's really old school. I don't know what that's about either. I mean, I can see the challenge of trying to be a hero of some kind, but I'm a little baffled by that myself.
0: Yeah, well, you know... Alan says it's okay. And a back yeah. off. Well, that wraps up this special episode. I hope that you enjoyed it, and more importantly, I hope that you learned something that you'll find extremely useful. Please make sure you subscribe, like, and share, and do me a huge favor. Please support our geared up sponsor, Venture Mouthpieces, as well as my other segment sponsors, Barclay Microphones, providing you world-class microphones on a working class budget and Robinson's Remedies, products to repair and renew your chops. So thanks for joining me, and thank you for your support in growing the Trumpet Guru's Hang. I promise to do my best to continue bringing you great conversations with the best and brightest that the trumpet world has to offer. And as always, peace and slide grease. We out. Thanks for hanging with us today. This podcast is all about creating deeper connections through our mutual love of music and the trumpet life. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast and also like and share this episode with a friend. We want to see The Hang grow for show. Please support our sponsors and consider becoming a personal supporter of this podcast as well. Remember, for less than the price of a bottle of valve oil a month, you can keep this podcast moving smoothly. The Trumpet Guru's Hang is recorded at The Candy Factory, a co-working space and social club located in Lancaster, Pennsylvania jose johnson is the executive producer post-production editing is by mitch bowers our opening theme song was composed and performed by lexi signal and our closing theme music comes courtesy of the greatest Funeral ever incidental music is by ethan swayze and jose johnson graphic design by ann kirby of the sweet Corps. the trumpet gurus hang podcast is produced in collaboration with the so good lancaster media group